Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, like the market, has started November with a bang. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, Dr. Nirban Mahati. How are you, Doc? I'm, I'm fantastic. Fantastic. I'm great. Wonderful, mate. That's exciting. Is it because the Blues won last night? I know. I don't care who won. <laughs> Come like, on. It's a Thursday morning, the 12th of November, as we always record, or usually record on our Thursdays. And the Blues did win last night, squaring up the State of Origin series. And frankly, that's uh, that makes things pretty good. We do have a question a little bit later uh, regarding the State Blues? of Origin. Go the Blues. Exactly. There okay. you go. Well, I, I would like the Greens to win, <laughs> not the Blues. Better play State of Origin, dude. But that's okay. But, I, but I, I'm a green fan, not a blue fan. <laughs> if I'm, this way. I'm, I'm in a controversial mood today. So we'll, oh, see. we'll see how we go. Strap yourselves in, Phil. This is going to be a big one. Uh, and a, a quick apology from me for last week's podcast getting out late too, by the way. Uh, miscommunication with the guys at Triple M. Completely my fault, but uh, we end up having the podcast out late. So thank you to those who contacted us. Um, we, we did realize by Saturday, but I... I uh, did the well, maybe the right thing, hopefully the right thing. I gave the Triple M guys the weekend off. I didn't give them any grief, and we fixed it on Monday morning. So thank you for being patient. But we're back, hopefully. <laughs> I won't say we're back to schedule because if I mess it up again, then this will go out Monday again and I'll look like a deal. But hopefully this will go out on schedule. Well, I'll start off by saying oh, that dear. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> so I bear no responsibility. Exactly. That's, that's my the problem. No, that's, number that's one. That's the problem. That's why if you I had something to do no with it, maybe it'd be done okay. So really, it is your fault. Well, it's not. <laughs> All right, let's get on with that. We've got, a, mate, we've got a, a big, big docket, a big macro docket in particular today, but some company news as well. Um, speaking of going green, we've got a little bit of green coming up later in the podcast. Um, let's let's kick it off, mate. Let's not uh, let's not go too tangenty, although we've probably already missed that boat. Um, this has been an astonishing start to the month of December. It seems that December. As do I say December? Yes. Oh, November. Yeah, November. You November, just, December, December, November. You're not time travelling ahead. Uma, Oprah, Oprah, Uma. That's one of those okay, things. Okay. All right. So just correcting you, it's November. Oh, okay. gee, it's a tough start. All right. Shall we start again? Ready? Well, edit that bit Well, it's, it's in November and it's a good start to November. Let's we'll go from there. there. All right, good. Here we go. Um, but the, largely, it seems that those who like to try and apply reasoning to this in hindsight, the old Monday morning quarterback saying it's the US election, it seems to have done most of the work. Um, the ASX, as of I think yesterday, the day before, was up 7.5%. In the month of November alone. Now, my usual refrain is that's about 75% of the average year on the ASX. So that is a phenomenal return in a week and a half on the on the market. Of course, this has been anything but an awful year. So I think we can necessarily take anything to the bank. We are getting close, though, to that ASX high of February. We know US markets are already on top of that number. Uh, this, this market seems to have... Throwing caution to the wind. It doesn't seem any other way to describe it. Is Now, of course, we've got the Biden presidency, the vaccine news, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, those things have kind of, you know, kind of come out in the during the process. What's going on? Is this the market finally giving up on pessimism? Is it a case of trying to find some good news? Is the good news good enough to really see the market up 7.5% in a week? Okay, so you know, as I said, I'm in a controversial mood, oh, right? Dear. So, and I did some homework for a change. Oh, do, I, I, do I have to apologize now or later? Oh, well, you know, I'll just correct you on that <laughs> as we go. Uh, go so, on. any you know data point that I have done actually some work on. So, yesterday, for example, I looked nice. up the ten-year returns yes. of the ASX as defined by the ASX 300 ETF. The 300. Okay, right, right. right. The Vanguard. The Vanguard. Yep. And the reason I did that is, well, you can't invest in the all ordinaries because there is no such instrument to sure. instrument and the ASX 300 uh, ETF the Vanguard one it's um, as close as we can get to the all lords isn't it huh? it's as close as it's we can get it's the closest to the you can get yeah. that has returned over the last 10 years yes 7.4% per annum in other words okay. uh, we got the full year's return in one week 
That's phenomenal. Isn't that's it? phenomenal. There you go. Right? You have done some homework. I like that. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Well, the bad news then, <laughs> <laughs> the bad news then is that for the rest of the year we're going to get nothing. Well, you know, you'd be tempted to think that, except this year has been all over the place. January to February 19 was a great month and a half. February 19 to March 23 was the worst, quickest bear market in history. The recovery is also the quickest recovery from a bear market in history. And now a month and a bit out from the end of the year, we're up 7.5% in a week. I, 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 don't, I don't know I necessarily want to think that between here and December 31, the market result is zero. Is so, are you, no, are you no, making no, that I'm, I'm saying it's two steps forward, one step backwards, two <laughs> okay. steps forward, one step backwards. Okay. We're still going forward. Right. Uh, that's fine. Um, so, like, I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, I think a, a contextualization is, is good, right? You get you know, the entire year's return that you've yeah. historically got the last you know, decade. Um, you know, uh, you, get, you got that in a week. So maybe the market is mad. Maybe the market is not mad. Um, I don't know, but yeah, something it's to it's a hell of a thing. Yeah, it's a hell of a nice thing. research, dude. Don't, yeah. don't set expectations that we're gonna. So just just be clear, there probably won't be any research done next week. Is that is that right? Or are you well, gonna that's do probably some true. Yeah. I just do it once a year. <laughs> you go. Congratulations, <laughs> fools! You've been you listened to the right podcast because this is the research podcast. Um, it is. It, it's. It, I mean, I yeah. Twenty twenty will be one of those years. That I think we look back for, on for a long time and kind of marvel at just kind of what did go on over that space of of 12 months you said two steps forward one step back mate so let me let me ask you the as i said the u.s market's up what is it 15 odd percent above its all-time high yeah so like that, I think, again the u.s market as defined by the s&p 500 yep. yes, yeah sir. it's up up something like that so um, is, are they so you know the asx is close and has come back a long long way the s&p is up and hitting all-time highs in the midst I mean, they are still getting 100,000 cases a day, right? So this is not, you know, I think, I think in Australia we can be tempted to believe we're kind of at the back end of the crisis. And frankly, we'll get to the vaccine in a second, but maybe we are almost by virtue of the fact that maybe there is a vaccine. And so that does, to some degree, herald the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. But even still, the market was not far from that pre-November 1. It, is, this, is this reasonable, rational behaviour? It seems... I, look, I was, I was a huge, huge, huge bull in March, right? I was saying to people, look, keep investing, keep investing, keep investing. This will come back. Things will turn around. It'll be fine. I had a question on Twitter, though, during the week to the, to the extent that, okay, fine, Scott, we get that. Agreed. But now we're here. Can, should you be setting all-time records in the midst of a pandemic? Is, is it reasonable to be paying, you know, as much for stocks as we ever have in the US, more than that, almost as much in Australia, and yet still be in the midst of economic and, and health uncertainty? Yeah, okay. Well, this is a more opportunity to be controversial here. Okay. So I did some research. You're enjoying this, aren't you? Uh, oh, I did some research, as I said yesterday. More research. Right, yeah. So uh, the uh, the S&P 500 over the last mm -hmm. decade has returned about 12.4%. That's a four, four, full 5% ahead nice. of the ASX. In right? US dollars, just to be clear? Uh, well, uh, actually, that part I'm not 100% sure okay. about. Right. Uh, but let's say this is normalized. Yep. Uh, because, uh, well, it actually should be an AUD. Okay. Um, because I compared both, and then you, you're going to get normalized results. That's yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So not that it matters necessarily. I just want to be. Just yeah, but to... let's say an AUD, right? For yep. for an Australian investor, actually, that's more relevant than anything else, right? So, yeah. um, you know, five percentage points ahead, or four and a half percentage points ahead. So mm -hmm. that's a significant difference over over a decade. Certainly is. Now, um, so the, okay, there's a there is a tendency. This is a human tendency mm -hmm. for us to think about the pandemic. Yes. Then think about so we think about many different things and then I think we conflate them. So let me try to help okay. people out. Or this this is how I think about them. We would think more cases is bad. Well, yes. they are bad for humanity. Yes, right? <laughs> I think we can agree on that at least. We can we can agree on that. Health-wise, yes, right. Yes. Then we might look at things like oh, our GDP is growing and we can be very happy. 
or we are out of recession. I would put a big question mark on that. Okay. Right? Is that that is relevant again from a happiness quotient point of view? Yes. Has got nothing in my view to do with investing. Okay. Right? Or very little to do Tell with investing. Tell me why. Okay, let me explain that. First of all, the the economy as measured by GDP mm-hmm. Uh, is, is I, I, this is the most, you know, what I call the uh, the fake number, right? Okay. right? So the government can throw stimulus, mm-hmm. any government can throw stimulus, and I'm not saying the government as in our government, any government, yeah, yeah. all governments government, have thrown yes, stimulus. Yes. You throw stimulus, you give people free money, they spend it, <laughs> it looks like the economy is growing. Boom, awesome, <laughs> right? Well, but then you look at the employment numbers, and boom, they're not improving, right? right? In fact, they look horrible. <laughs> they're better, but they're still horrible, right? That's one part of it. The second part, I think, is you have to think about where the employment numbers are coming from. If the employment numbers are coming from small businesses, mm. well, those are not businesses that are listed anyways, right? The third point to consider mm. is think about what you're investing in. Okay. Okay. So if you invest, for example, in the ASX 300, then you have made a bet on banks and miners, mm-hmm. Right. I can almost write it down on a piece of paper with no guarantees on it. <laughs> That's a controversial but, but, but with no on. guarantees because I refuse to give guarantees about That's anything. Um, that Nor are we allowed to, by the way. So the, the nobody's allowed very to. happy with that. Well, well not just ASIC, but I mean, you know, I mean, why would I give any guarantees for anything? This I is know. a free podcast. Um, if you're investing in banks, banks as an example, <laughs> and economy that is tied or companies that are tied to mm-hmm. uh, the banks mm-hmm. or the banking economy as such. Yep then how do you expect you're going to get growth, right? Via asset price, mostly via mm. asset price inflation, right? Yep. Um, you know, Australia is not going to grow at like 20% per year to yep. give the banks a growth of 20% per year. In fact, almost by definition, uh, you should see contraction as things normalize, mm-hmm. right? Because that spending dollars that have been being spent here yeah, is right. going to be spent elsewhere. So I think it's a... The, the, there is a difference between case counts mm-hmm. and uh, you know GDP numbers and everything else versus mm-hmm. investing, right? Because you could invest in companies. Now, at the same time, it's also worth pointing out mm-hmm. that, and we'll, we'll talk more about this as, as a third point. This is, again, a larger thing to think about. People should think about, well, you know, we had World War II, mm-hmm. huge big event, dislocative event, mm-hmm. It resulted in balance of powers changing. It resulted in, you know, a lot of innovation that came out of World War. And those have flown through over time or, or, you know, right. I like to say, and I say this to to the team, that in my mind, 2020 has seen some of the most and the biggest innovations of our time. Okay. Right. That's Uh, a big call. Well, but yeah, that's the big call, right? But you have to invest according to that big call, right? Right, So, for example, number number one, think about it this way. Yep. Because of the pandemic, irrespective of the fact that there are millions of cases in the US, right, and in Europe, what has taken hold is digital economy. Digitization has taken speed. Well, that digitization is not going to benefit Commonwealth Bank or NAB. They're going to be users of digitization. Mm -hmm. It's going to help them with their costs, but they are not the innovators of digitization, right? Therefore, that benefit flows elsewhere find those digital companies that are enabling that, mm-hmm. right? So this huge push towards the digitization which was going at a certain rate is now going to expand at a different rate. Okay. All right, that's number one. Number two, if you think about, if you get an abstract, you know, think about how space travel was happening. This is also the year where, you know, space travel is essentially, human space travel is back 
Okay. Um, so travel talking about just going to space, right? Not to Mar- not Mars no, no, yet, no, but just no. the idea of getting but, space but I'm, space. what I'm talking about is if you think about the step changes, if you abstract out everything and just think about the about the step changes in innovation, mm-hmm. then you'd see that you know well the Americans were not going. There was no Western aircraft that was or or um, right spacecraft spacecraft yep. that was taking people to the International Space Station. Well, yep. that has been realized this yes, year. Right. Now, of course, it's a culmination of effort for many years, but did happen this year, right? Check it, yeah. um, this is also the year where electric vehicle sales have been growing compared to gas vehicle sales, mm-hmm. right? So there's that thing. There's a sustainable transport revolution that's happening. There's digitization, of course, that we have talked about. The mm-hmm. online penetration has gone up. Yes, hugely. Right? Hugely. So it's a year where a lot of disruption has happened to the common person, mm-hmm. yet some businesses have performed like nothing has happened and, in fact, are speeding up. Right. And therefore, as investors, we need to watch for that. Think about that for a second. Can I, um, not challenge that actually, just give some extra context. I mentioned, wasn't, was it you guys, Nicole, I can't remember yesterday, I'm talking to someone in the team. Um, During the last, during the GFC, businesses like Apple kept growing because it was simply growing adoption and people wanted its products. On the other hand, we had businesses like Automotive Holdings, the, the car dealership, and Flexi Group, the debt provider, that grew because they were small and just simply growing into bigger markets. They were taking share even if the market themselves, the markets themselves were declining. That's one version of growth. And then there's another version of growth that is, to some degree, either um, taking advantage of the pandemic, growing despite the pandemic, or something else. The, the businesses you're talking about now, which, which bracket do they fit in? Well, I'm talking about secular long-term growth. What right. I'm saying is that we are at a phase where, you know, we, you might see online sales, for example, drop post, you know, opening of the economy. You think but, we almost should, shouldn't we? Yeah, they, they it's been so high. But, but that trend of uptake is going to continue. Yeah. Then we can ask the question, well, where is that, you know, who is going to win and who is going to get benefit from that, right? Anybody yeah. can open an online store. So therefore, yes. you would think marginal competition would mean, well, every every retailer is going to fight over online sales. They shouldn't really, their penetration of online increases mm-hmm. at the cost of their offline sales, yep. but they're all going to be fighting on the marginal dollars, yep. right? Yep. There is n- not much gain then, yeah, right. in some sense, to be made there, yep. if you think about it yep. in that fashion. Then you can go down the protocol stack. And I mean, think, a, bit, well, a bit of gain for the yeah, individual retailers, yes, of course, yes, but not yes. from the online retail I'm talking. I'm talking about the big so. winners, right? I mean, yeah. the, where is the big winner? The big winner is going to be, in in some form, enablers of those technology, right? Right. So, uh, or enablers of those platforms. Yep. So this is at least how I think about my yeah. investing yep. is. I want to think about those things that are driving, and I don't want to think about what's happening. The GDP number went up, down, corona mm-hmm. case count is this. Those things are almost immaterial. Right. It's just like no, hundreds of thousands of people died in, and it sounds insensitive, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people died in World War. Well, yes, but if I am just thinking, because I'm not a policymaker, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mm-hmm. make policy decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, an economist, right. and I'm not the queen to make people feel good. Right, right, or the king. We're, we're, or, okay. we're all happy about that for different yeah. reasons. Yes. <laughs> so, so like you know, it's different people have different roles. My mm-hmm. role is to just find investments, right. <laughs> and from an investment part of view, yep. focusing on the big picture and the big winning things yep. helps. Right, everything else then becomes a sideshow. Yep. As it's a, it's a very you know, this might sound like you know, it's a very cold-blooded, you know, mercenary-style approach to investing, <laughs> but it is like you know. I would say that if you want to say that, no. Kidding. Yeah, yes. well, but I mean, mercenary-style investing. No, I, so I'm focusing yeah. on the underlying yeah. underpinnings. Which as, is, as an individual investor, 
you know, we, we yeah, and you can actually have two, you can have both views at the same time. We can have a policy view, an economic view, a macro view. Absolutely. And we can also choose what to do with our money. And yeah. those things. But never confuse the right, your yes. economic, you know, your social view, yes. your economic view, yes. your political view has nothing to do with your investing. And right, this is very right. important to keep in mind because people, I think, conflate these two. Yep. And, and they think, oh, you know, this is great and that is great. Yep. And, you know, this is totally. awesome. And therefore, I'm going to invest in CBA. Yes. Well, kind of well, you know, you're not really helping yourself with doing that. You, know. <laughs> you want to help yourself. So uh, that's, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, I, I think to me, actually, it looks like, irrespective mm-hmm. of what the market is, the market is going to do a lot of things in the short term, as you said, you know, 700% up, down. But I think there are a lot of opportunities, yeah. you know, if I have to leave, on a, leave it on an optimistic note, I think there are a lot of opportunities <laughs> if you want to think yeah. about what has started, what was ongoing already, and mm-hmm. where the value would be accreting, right? right, right and you right. want to think about value accretion, and and most of that value accretion is actually in in technology and mm-hmm. new age things, yep. not in old age things, right? Yep. So I think yeah. So I think that's that's what I'm going to leave uh, thought with. I like that. I think and I think you know that's I I like the separation, mate. I think there's we have a lot of people, particularly people who want better things in the world, who confuse the two. And I think there's. You know, I, I've banged on many, many times about ethical investing. We had one more um, uh, listener email me during, or tweet, tweeted me during the week about ethical investing. And it's that same idea, right? You can hope that people take action on ethical investing. Um, you can hope that people change the world, but if they're not going to, then there's no point investing in it. Conversely, ethical investing itself, while you kind of hope desperately that you could do something investing-wise to make a difference, the chance you actually can is, is still remote. And so wishing it was so doesn't make it the right way to invest, as you say. Whichever whichever direction you take this thinking, whether it's, you know, as you say, whatever you hope the economy does or doesn't do, whatever the economy actually does or doesn't do, they are different things from how you invest your money for, for maximum benefit. And I think that's 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 a, a really important point. I will say for what it's worth, I think there's still different ways of making money in the same context. And this is really a question of, as you said, how you put that money to work in a way that makes just maximum sense for your portfolio. I think you know if you are an ETF investor, then the the market does matter a hell of a lot. If you own the banks, then you really should care about what the economy is doing. Not necessarily because not what the economy should do, but if you own businesses that are exposed to the economy, you want to be really clear that you have a very strong thesis for it. And again, as we've talked about before, commodity companies in particular. Um, and again, when I say commodities, I mean in the broadest sense: airline seats, um, oil, gold, uh, you know, whatever, whatever wheat, whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, you need to understand the impacts or the areas of influence that will change your business's fortunes. And as Doc says, whether they are big, long-term, you know, in, you know, kind of technical change, technological changes, whether they are short-term economic impacts, whatever those things are, you really have to know what you're buying. You have to know how those businesses are impacted by the, the individual, you know, the, the things that do impact those businesses, understand them really, really well, because that makes a huge difference. And that's where, you know, during the GFC, the bank struggled, but Flexi Group grew, same industry, same business, doing slightly different things, but you know, effectively still in the credit provision business, but a very different part of the market. So really, really understanding what your company does, how it makes money, and what's likely to impact it, super, super important when it comes to trying to make sure you know what you're investing in and what sort of returns you're expecting. Any more on that, mate? No. That was a good conversation. That, that was, I have one bullet point on my thing. We didn't even get close to that. We got a million miles further, which was awesome. So <laughs> let's let's try and drag ourselves desperately back to that. I'm going to ask you about some macro despite your comment. You may choose to simply ignore it, but uh, let's do it anyway. Uh, consumer and business confidence was out during the week. Both numbers are up. I think it was, oh man, I'm going to confuse this. Now I think it's business confidence is actually up higher than the survey average, higher than where it was 18 months ago, November 2018, no, two years ago, two years ago, November 2018, higher than it was pre-pandemic. And 
it's tempting to look at that. We had we had a question. I've got a, a Bamberg question for Sunday on exactly this topic, or at least the, the impact of it. Um, it seems to me, and as you say, maybe it's fake, maybe it's entirely government generated, but these things do generate to some degree their own momentum, right? The more we spend, the more we, more we hire, the more we hire, the more we spend. It, it, it is to some degree the, the entire intent of any stimulus package is to kickstart, you know, almost the, to crank turn the motor to use the old school car um, terminology, although you probably don't appreciate that being an EV guy. Um, you know, whatever the electronic versions of, of that kind of, you know, extra bit of boost to just, just get momentum moving forward. Those numbers unquestionably good i haven't seen a bad data point in about a month and a half yeah so uh, so the way i look at this is like suppose you know i'm a business owner i look at those numbers and feel good about it mm. because it means that my business can continue right. and i can make more money um from an investment point of view i actually do not care about that at all right. really largely because again as i've said before these data points are you know, they're not reflecting any normal, first of all. And the second thing is that, you know, most of this is a reflection of uh, stimulus spend that's going into the small and medium scale uh, enterprises. That mm. is not really where you're investing in the stock market, right? Mm. I mean, in the stock market has, you know, you're not investing. Yes, in your business, yes. But if you're yep. an investor, it doesn't actually really matter, yeah. right? Um, and in the long run, it's it's a bit like, you know, where you're spending the money. So if you, you know, if you spe- if you put the money into the economy that resulted, you know, you give businesses, you know, tax breaks, they bought a ute or, or a car mm-hmm. or something else. Well, it's a one-time spend. It's really mm-hmm. not, it's not in many ways, it is cycling the money, I get it. Right. And, but it is not doing anything fundamentally different. It's not really creating the next wave of whatever, right? So... It, it's a bit like I don't know maybe this analogy doesn't hold, uh, hold but you know it's a bit like well there's no climate emergency right now mm. so why bother about mm, it mm. right um, and life is good right now yeah so why bother about it yeah. I, I think the fundamental problem for most to be really clear <clears throat> really clear. you're not saying that's the case I'm just I, just for those listening Doc is not saying <laughs> we shouldn't care about what you're saying what I'm saying is that you it it appears that the air we breathe right now in Australia is very clean so yeah. we shouldn't care we shouldn't worry about it but if we don't worry then eventually right, right, right. in 5 10 15 20 30 years the air becomes polluted Correct. the same thing is true for the way things are happening in the economy right this is mm-hmm. why I'm not a proponent of you know the rate cuts and mm-hmm. I'm not a proponent of the way certain things you know I'm a proponent mm-hmm of of helping mm. immediately mm. which I've, I've said you know I'm a proponent of um, you know immediate stimulus but not ongoing stimulus mm-hmm. uh, you know as I was a proponent of an immediate lockdown not of an ongoing lockdown because mm-hmm. I think you need to adapt with time and change your behavior because you, what you want to focus on is not the short term win but you want to focus on the long term win mm-hmm. right you want to focus on what's going to be good not for us today mm-hmm. not just for our children to, to, you know in mm-hmm. the next 20 30 years but for their children's children right, right this right. is really hard to do and it is it is you know symptomatic of our desire and symptomatic also of um you know what sort of innovation ecosystem you've mm-hmm. got right so bang on in innovation for a reason is you know, if you think about the world as a as a physical system, and and the physical system has got chaos in it, um, we you can find a local optimum, or you can find a global optimum. Mm. By definition, the global optimum is always better than the local optimum, mm. but it's much easier to solve for the local optimum, <laughs> and therefore we always solve tend have right, a tendency right, right. Yeah. to solve for the local yeah, optimum, yeah. right? Is it is it is it an analogy? I'm not. I'm not a systems thinker. I'm not a, not a, an IT. Um, 
computer science PhD. Is there an element of kind of just the important and the urgent? You know, that, that, that kind of acronym of, you know, there's the important and the urgent and we all tend to work on the urgent because it's urgent and we kind of forget the important because we kind of want to get to that after the stuff that's urgent's out of the way. Is, is there any analogy there? Analogy, well, it's, analogy it's true, there? right? And which is why I said that you know, I'm a huge supporter of immediate action mm. when you need to prevent a huge catastrophe, right? right, right. But then you can't continue on that that sort of footpath mm. because it's like you know you took a turn to the left mm. because you had no other choice because every road was blocked mm-hmm. when the roads start unblocking <laughs> if that is the long winded road to nowhere you just don't want to continue traveling right, on right, that path right, so that's yeah. the analogy so like trying to backtrack and get back on the main road yeah, right? yeah, uh, yeah you yeah, want yeah. to get back to yeah. the main road you want to find the high you know the high road yeah. to win over the long term yeah. this is we're investors for the long term so I mean you know again you know you could use apply this sort of filter to businesses and apply this sort of filter to you know mm. um, to collections of people over time yeah. so you know what appears on the surface is bad may not be as bad and what appears on the surface is good may not be as good mm. because again there is a short term and long term and local optimal mm. global mm. optimal sort of thing right so uh, some of the things to think about I, I try to invest with you know and I encourage people to with a multi-decade sort of horizon mm. and in the meantime I'm willing to take the volatility that comes with it but Part of the thinking behind a multi-decade investing horizon mm-hmm. is the global optimizing for global, uh, you know, trying to find the global optimum is going to result in, you know, basically people, whatever people want, they want faster, better, cheaper, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whoever's going to deliver that, yeah. people are going to just take that. Yeah, right, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, faster, better, yeah, cheaper, yeah, yeah. as long as I can give you a better product, yeah. you're going to buy it. You're not yeah. going to care yeah. where it came from. Correct. He's just going to take it. So I, I think that's another way to think of it, you know, find the best products, services, and, you know, things that are delighting people and things mm-hmm. that are changing the world, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> Very good. I like it. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's go to some company-specific stuff because we had some really big numbers out today and some of those numbers will potentially even be exemplars of the the sort of discussion we've just been having. Um, Saw some numbers out this morning. Zero, the online cloud accounting software business. Sales up 21% year on year. Bunnings... Excluding Victoria, which is kind of one of those things I'm saying, except bad stuff, but work with you for a second. Excluding Victoria, Bunning sales used to up 29%. Now, we're used to 20% growth for software companies. So zero sales, 20%. That's, that's really impressive, right? It's big. It's done a whole lot of growth already. If you can still grow at that sort of rate, you're doing pretty well. When you get a hardware retailer growing effectively $1 in three that it did last year, it's adding another dollar to that Um and uh, you know that doesn't happen, right? We saw Woolies and Coles. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, up, up ten and twelve percent respectively. Or the other way around, Coles and Woolies up ten and twelve percent respectively. Bunnings up twenty nine percent, zero up twenty one. Let's start with zero. Um, this is a business. So they, they had net acquisition, net additions were still up, but up by less. So this business is either slowing growth or losing more customers. I don't know if they were clear about which of those it is, but to some degree that's the case. Average revenue per user down four percent. So a really good opportunity, I think, to talk about. We talk about you know talk about innovative businesses, software as a service businesses. Zero was probably the first one that Australians really cottoned onto to really kind of start to learn about software as a service, recurring revenue businesses, these things paying up for frankly for future growth. We, you know, zero was the first come off the rank on the ASX, plenty overseas, but zero was the first one we kind of all started to take notice of. I I'm impressed that the growth is still at 21. percent That that's a still that's a stunningly large number considering how big this business already is. If you can grow at that sort of rate, you're doing something right. 
On the other hand, some of the metrics that kind of matter, the number of customers that's adding is slowing. And again, maybe that is one-off business failures. But average revenue per user down 4%. That's the one I thought, hang on, if you wanted to kind of you know, pick some metrics and work out which ones you want to be focusing on, customer additions make sense. And then how much those customers are paying you year on year also makes sense. So how do you how do you pass the zero results? Good top line, okay customer additions, bad. I think it's just unquestionably bad. Average revenue per user falling. You never ever want to say that. Is is this the last kind of you know sputtering bit of growth for zero before it becomes a mature business? Is this pandemic related? Of course we don't know for sure, but just give us your initial thoughts on the zero result. Yeah, so so first a caveat: I haven't actually looked at um, uh, you know below the surface other yeah, than just that came out just before we started recording. Yeah, so, so we, we just, not, not, <laughs> so I haven't had a look. Work. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a position that we hold in yep. one of our portfolios. So that's another disclosure item. Um, so, like, here's the thing with zero, right? It is not surprising that their you know net additions you know were relatively down compared mm. to the other quarters because they probably have had churn, yeah. and you would expect churn because you know a bunch of small businesses like if you had a cafe that was running with uh, zero yeah. that you had to close or a restaurant, well there's no reason for you to you know keep your zero subscription yeah. right at that point or after some you know after you reconciled your books you probably had mm. no reason to keep it so I think that is. Understandable. Mate, can I can I before you move on just to find our terms here for people who aren't used to this sort of business? When we say churn, we're talking about butter here. We're talking about the, the, <laughs> the number of the number of the proportion of customers it keeps year on year. So I had hundred customers last year. It's got something less than that this year. Yeah. And that that loss rate, the percentage losses, is, is referred to in the industry as churn. Yeah. Yeah. So the number of people is a percentage that are leaving nice. the the you know the base, the customer base, yeah. uh, and. That's not surprising. Yeah. Churn, like as defined, as I just got this defined it, is for the type of um, businesses, zero. So zero is f- squarely focused on small to medium scale businesses, right? Mm. A, a huge big deal here in Australia and New Zealand. Both places had severe lockdowns, you know, stringent lockdowns, which basically means that, you know, there were businesses that actually went out of business. Yeah. And... Mm, you know, and therefore they might have discontinued their zero. So I think again mm-hmm. that, and and then another thing to realize is SMBs, anyways, have a higher failure rate than larger companies, <laughs> right. right? And this is zero's so, bread and butter, right? They're smaller, medium zero's, companies. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And this is zero's bread and butter. Yeah. Again, nothing surprising there because yeah. again, you'd expect that you know, after ten ca- cafes that are started, some are going to fail. Um, <laughs> yep. It's just the definition of that type of business, yeah. right? It's just hard. Um, so. So I think that's fine. Yeah. The the ARPU number, I've had to can, take can I, Sorry, can I, yes. can I ask you a question about churn? Uh, and just, just for a second, the fun of it. I, so not surprising, with they lose some customers, makes a whole lot of sense. Are we as investors sometimes guilty of looking at only the good times of lack of churn you know, and, and then excusing the times when they fall? And again, not you, not about zero, but just if I think about that, I think, you know, a bit like I said about Bunnings, right? And we'll get to Bunnings in a second, but, you know, sales were up, except in Melbourne where it sucked. And sometimes we kind of say, well, we had, t- we had 10 year, great years of growth, um, which in which time there was no economic challenges. And so, of course, I'm going to get growth. Uh, and then we say, well, of course, they lost customers because there was a pandemic and you expect that. Uh, are we sometimes guilty of excusing businesses on both sides? We don't we don't kind of handicap that growth. I, I will include banks in the same conversation, by the way. Banks never take bad debt allowances in advance when they should be taking them. And then it happens, we go, oh, who knew there could be a recession? And the answer should, for everyone should be, of course, we all should have expected it. Do we sometimes over-egg the, the success of businesses in the good times uh, and, then, and then try and explain away in the bad times that maybe we should be a little more circumspect when, when things are obviously good and so it's easy to sign up new customers? 
Yeah, so I think that's a fair point. Like the only thing I'll say in defense of a business like Zero is mm. this, right? So their main competition really is legacy software, right? Yeah, so there'll be yeah. people who are using spreadsheets uh, at home to their accounting. They're probably literally dumping the boxes f- in some cases. Yeah, <laughs> they're literally dumping uh, the files from their banks yeah. into a spreadsheet and then trying to do it. Or you know, so it's, it's a bit like. It's a bit like what we would say is the war on cash, right? Yeah. The war on cash, if you think about electronic payments, it's not the competition with other payment providers exists, but yep. the real competition is with cash. Here, the real competition is with existing systems. So there's a there's a, there's a runway for growth where, mm-hmm. I mean, you could potentially get 15, 20% growth for a long time yep. because the type, the share that you're trying to get from, in the, you're trying to win from is is just plenty. Yeah, right? Right. And if you're not just talking about new <laughs> yeah. business creation, there's mm-hmm. always new business creation. That, yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's the differentiating aspect yeah. um, uh, for business of this type. Most yeah. news, which is not, the same for like a bank with business like Bunnings or a business like CBA. Mm. Those are those are basically at the mature end of their life Huge cycle. Mature, right? yeah. So it's not yeah. it's not that they can grow at twenty percent forever. Right. Right. Uh, whereas I mean nobody can grow for twenty percent forever. <laughs> but like I mean if you if yeah. your penetra- market penetration yeah. is relatively small, yeah. you can grow at 20 percent for a long time. Right. And yeah. as you grow, yeah. uh, your delta cost for growing, you know, delta cost for running the software is yeah. really does not grow at that rate, right? Yeah. So you become more and more profitable. Awesome, yeah. So it's it's a, it's a good it there's a good leverage there in the business where you, you tra- start seeing more cash come to the shareholders. Yeah, so nice. so putting that aside, I think the only other thing I'll say is the ARPU down. Yes. Again, I'm just making this up. So one possibility is that they might have got lots of people asking for deferral of payments. Oh, okay. um, or they might have softened their payment terms mm-hmm. or they might have given longer um, you know um, a trial periods which yeah, are okay. all going to affect your ARPU yeah right, um, right. makes sense so, so all, again it's not is it great no but I'm you know the top line is still growing um, which is good and and from the the, mo- the other important thing to realize with these type of businesses is that once they are in it's hard to take out if the business, if yeah. your business is surviving. That's yeah. number one. And number two is it's very recurring in that sense. Number two is that once they're in the the bigger promise really is, and if it materializes, is what else can they do, given that they're already embedded in your life, right? So yeah. what else? What other service can they provide? And that's where okay. other growth opportunities come from, right? Yeah. Um, most technology companies have that element of mm-hmm. you know I'm going to get in this way. I'm going to find a little door, then I'm going to get in, <laughs> and then I'm going to grow. Yeah, yeah, I'm going yeah. to just take over your life, right? There, there's a, I, it's it's an interesting analogy, mate, because what I guess the, the the times we're living in right now. And as you explain that, I'm thinking it's kind of like a virus. It kind of gets in the system and then kind of mutates from there, <laughs> which is you know not a perfect. It has negative connotations, but that's not miles away. You've referred to it before as land and expand. The idea is you 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 arrive somewhere and then you find new ways of helping that customer with other so- services either that you already have. You might acquire someone. You may. Uh, add modules to your software in, in-house and you're trying to basically look, we've got this relationship we're in your system as you say already hey let me make this easy for you why don't I add module X it's part of your business process it'll add nicely to what you're already using It's a, I mean it's a really it's a really nice model and it's from a customer perspective you're like you know what that really would make my life easier yeah I'll, I'll pay you a bit more f- zero for this thing you're adding to my life 
Yeah, like so, so zero, for example, starts by making your accounting easy, right? Mm-hmm. But if you've got employees, then you want to you want to you want to pay them. Mm-hmm. If you can integrate payments mm-hmm. uh, for your employees, well, that makes your yeah. life a little bit. Yeah. Nobody wants to use ten different disparate systems, right? And then suppose yeah. you've got timesheets that you want to, you know, you want to have your employees clock. Yep. Yep. Well, do you really want to use another timesheet that is, you know, you right. could potentially that's part of the zero ecosystem. Yep. But if it is built into zero, it's just easier. It's like it's like those sort of things, right? Yeah, it makes it's, perfect it's, sense. Again, as I said, it's all about you know it doesn't matter where it comes from it's yeah, easier yeah, yeah. better and cheaper yeah. people will use it and it just plugs in which is the other thing like yeah. you know how many more systems you want to have to yeah. log into um it, it makes life easier but I, I i like that a lot the um when it comes to zero's kind of core business we know that it's been as you say it's got a lot of business from there and i'm curious as to your thoughts this is just a, a random tangent mate a question without notice you talk a lot about total addressable market and the ability for a business to grow and you also then talk about zero about you know it's, it's kind of disruptor in a very large market. I'm, I'm curious as to how you think. Maybe maybe they're just two completely separate questions. They don't they don't even you know there's no overlap. But I'm thinking about a business that is creating a market for itself. So if I think about I don't know, I can't think of a great example right now. Um, e-commerce probably Amazon in the old days is probably you know creating a market for itself in some ways. Um, but a genuine iPhone iPhone's probably a better example right so there was this there was this thing you used to carry around it was a handset made phone calls Apple created the you know ultra personal computer <laughs> the ultra portable computer literally the phone in the pocket right which was a smart computer that happened to make phone calls it created a market and then kind of grew that market someone like a Zero is is kind of saying well there's a market already there and yes they've grown the market a little bit by saying to people look you were never going to go and buy a, a piece of software off the shelf uh, you've got a shoebox full of receipts to give your accountant once every three months use this instead so they are growing the market some ways do you have a preference as to you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking gee if you knew there was a Zero type business out there that was disrupting the existing market that was already having success. That feels like a lower risk strategy because you're not you're not reliant on, hey, the market could be X size. You're like, no, I know how big the market is. It's this size. And zero is taking share. For me, that's a that's a lower upside potentially, although it depends how big the market is, but maybe a potential lower upside, but it feels like a lower risk way to take advantage of disruptive growth. When you kind of got this, you know, use <laughs> the virus thing again, kind of you know, slowly taking over the the segment, the, the category of the industry. That to me feels like a, a a less risky way to invest than saying, "Hey, this business over here is creating a brand new market we didn't have before." Uh, Netflix and streaming, maybe another run. Again, we had lots of other entertainment, so it's hard to, you know, there's always every business always replaces the dollar spent on something, so nothing's completely new. Do you have a thought as to you know how you'd prefer to invest there, or how you think about those two types, or are they even different at all? Well, in my mind, they're not really that different because, like, okay. I mean, every business, as you, as you rightly said, right, is replacing something. And then mm. it replaces some. You can't replace something with exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. You replace something with, you know, as I said, smaller, faster, cheaper, yeah. better, and, and then that better becomes morphs itself over time. So yeah, the market yeah. sort of expands. Um, you know, it's the so I, I, I think yeah. So like more and most companies would define their markets based mm. on mm. or market opportunity based on what they see currently. In the, so most. Software companies would define their, you know, if they're cloud-based, for example, modern software companies, they're going to define their opportunity in terms of, well, the legacy systems, the banks use COBOL with on-premise architectures. Mm-hmm. I can replace that. That market just for maintenance is that, but if it had to be replaced, it's like, what, half a trillion dollars? Well, that's my target market. Or if right. I'm going to tra- target a small thing of that, market then it's that much mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and it's tangible uh so you know in some industries it's harder to take share it takes time in some industries right. it's easy to take share right. uh, there are industry dynamics involved lots of different things um makes sense to think about yeah makes sense 
Very good. Thank you, Matt. Um, West Farmers, just quickly, about Bunnings in particular, you mentioned the fact this is kind of a one-off thing. These are obviously very different stories, and part of it is the beauty of software, right? The zero gets a customer. That, that 20% growth in sales is largely because more customers are paid them more money, or in this case, a little bit less money, but generally speaking, more customers pay more money every month. And every new customer you sign up, you're probably keeping for X number of years. Um, Bunnings, I mean, look, I, <laughs> I probably spend more time in Bunnings than I should. My, 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 my shopping is almost recurring revenue by definition. But for most people, you go to Bunnings every now and again when you want to. Bunnings doesn't get to sign me up for $10 a month for the next 15 years. You know, maybe I spend money there, maybe I don't. Maybe I go to the competitor, maybe I stop, you know. I build my chicken coop at the done. I'm not going to go and buy more wood and build a second or a third chicken coop. Um, but size up 29%. One of, I think, I don't know if you agree, actually, I... I I firmly believe this is the single best retailer in the country, at least based on its otherwise the metrics that already existed pre-pandemic. Returns on equity of 50-plus percent are just phenomenal. This is an absolute juggernaut. Do you, does 29% growth not at least get you slightly interested in buying shares in a retailer? No. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why not. Well, as I, as I said, right, I mean, how you know, banks can grow next year this time. Yeah. I want to see how much it grew, and I'm almost <laughs> going to predict it's going to be down five to ten yeah. percent, uh, easily, maybe more, yeah. right? In terms of relative. So, so I mean, that's the you know my my thing with investing is I want to, I keep trying to keep my investing simple. Uh, I want to find things that are in what I call secu- secular growth. Mm. I want to find mm. things that have long tailwinds, <laughs> long long journey mm. that they can make, mm. and I want companies that can transform themselves over time. Yeah. Um, I am not interested in banks, retailers, traditional <laughs> retailers, uh, supermarkets, right, because right. they're not—they're just not that thing. <laughs> and the beauty of investing in sort of growth is that most people do not think things can grow forever or for a long time, right? Mm. And that's huge. It's basically the easiest way. Mm. And I make—I'm I, I, making it sound too simple, which is not really good. But um, it's the easiest way to make money. It's basically, well, you know. Everybody wants to invest in things that they can see. It's harder to invest in things that you can't see. It's harder right. to actually even think that something can grow at 20 plus percent mm-hmm. for 15, 20 years, right? Nobody thinks like that. Mm. So or when I say nobody, very few. And that's an opportunity in my mind, yep. right? So what appears to be overvalued today is actually really cheap, mm. right? And with that sort of um, window and that sort of runway, you just need to be right some number of times mm. and you're set right so it's, it's a much easier it's in my mind it's 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 an easier way to invest instead of trying to go in and out like you know you need to buy a a, a well-established retailer at a good price mm-hmm. then sell it at a good price then come back again it's just too hard and i just don't have that energy or yeah. the capacity or the ability to make those in and out decisions right so i just say pass makes sense yeah. makes sense but um let's let's go uh, let's go back to vaccine so let's we're getting a bit macro here, but but also I want to talk about what the market's been doing over the last couple of days. We saw vaccine news released by Pfizer. Um, they're claiming a large sample size, large um, large test group, ninety percent of efficacy, which is phenomenally large, bigger than the seasonal flu in terms of its ability to hopefully touch wood solve this particular pandemic and and, and frankly find us a vaccine. Now maybe others do as well. Add to that add to that mix, but at least for now. There's reason to believe. Hopefully, um, Pfizer is is has a solution. Now, there's still some debate and uncertainty around the scientific community about you know some of the detail, and it's been done by press release rather than rather than you know uh, published scientific research. There's a whole lot of stuff, so we don't want to overegg this one, particularly as investors, because frankly, the responses to this were all over the place. 
So we saw the market, the futures actually jumped pretty big. The US futures also jumped pretty big. Three and a half percent they were before market traded. By close, the US market closed up, I'll say only, but only 1.4%, 1.6%. The Australian market actually closed up less than 1% on the day the news was announced. But that's kind of the, the, the proverbial duck that seems calm on top of the water and is going like mad underneath with legs kicking and, and, and carrying on because we saw businesses like Westfield or Unibay Redamco, Westfield as it is these days, shares were up 40%. The market was almost flat. We saw shares in corporate travel management, I own shares, Webjet, I own shares, and Flight Center, I don't own shares of those, up 15% each. We also saw Kogan down 18%, Temple and Webster down 20%, Redbubble, I can't remember, but 20 plus percent from memory. Um, and again, oil was up 8%. The oil, sorry, the oil sector was up 8%. IT was down 6%. These are phenomenal. You know, <laughs> individually, you go, wow, that, the market must have moved massively. And it didn't. I, I hate to use the phrase or well, the word rotation because it's one of those horrible cliches that we all hate. But it was hard to see that and think that there weren't a whole lot of people kind of flicking a switch in their portfolios and going, great, now we can get back into the stocks that we couldn't own previously. And we're getting out of the stuff we didn't really want to own because we had to own it because there was nowhere else to be. I, I'm, <laughs> I won't even put words in your mouth. How do you how do you think about that sort of stuff? Are they reasonable? Are there overreactions? Are there opportunities? Are there risks? When the market goes nowhere, but but sectors literally fly to other ends of the spectrum. This is one of the biggest, one of the strangest days on the market I've ever seen. I didn't get much commentary because the total market wasn't up much, but it was a really really strange day. Yeah, I have one word for that. I love it. It's, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> um, it's again, it's exactly. So it's this, this myopia of the market, right? And short-sightedness of the market totally. that is really uh, something that investors can um, <laughs> leverage, right? Yep. Uh, I love it because here's the thing. I mean, uh, on the surface, yep. some of these movements uh, make sense. Like you can justify it. You can yep. try to justify it, right? So one way to justify it would be say, well, okay, all this spend that was, I'm going to use Kogan as an example, yep. saying all the spend that was going to Kogan, now people are going to be less scared. There's going to be, everybody's going to be vaccinated and everybody's going to go back to wherever they were shopping and therefore some of that shopping <laughs> right, is going right. to disappear from Kogan. Yep. Yes, that is obvious. Yep. That's probably what's going to happen. Yep. That does not, however, change the trajectory for Kogan, the business, right. over the next 10 years. Right. Right. Again, no, but there's no guarantees in this thing, yeah, yeah, but yeah, there is a trajectory yeah. for online sales. There's a trajectory for, you know, Kogan's efficiencies to, for example, improve as they as more and more people use it. Yeah. it you know, it can leverage its distribution centers. It can leverage its buying power um, and it can leverage its brand and the white label things that it sells mm -hmm. to a larger population, right? Larger. Yeah. So none of those things have changed. Yeah. Yes, stuff might have temporarily changed or in the short term, it maybe is not as attractive. I don't know. I'm not making that. Uh, I'm just saying that, yes, there's yeah. a justification. Yeah. Yeah. But it misses that long-term picture, right? And then if it yeah. misses that long-term picture, that's the opportunity in my mind. Um, the the short-term reaction that people did is exactly what I talked about, right? That people want to make this I'll use value for the lake of a better word. They're making mm -hmm. this value call, right? Mm -hmm. That this is undervalued in the short term, I'm going to get into this. That's going to then give me the opportunity mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, I'm going to ride this recovery wave and then I'm going to get out at some point. Why? 
Eh, if everybody did that, <laughs> a lot of the arbitrage that you had right. just disappeared. It goes right? away, you just, you know, Westfield or whatever, you know, you, 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 yep. whatever it's now called, yep. it just went up 40%. I don't know. Like, I'm mean, the person who yep. bought it 40% plus, how much arbitrage is left out for exactly, them, right? Exactly. So that's the problem. Yep. On the other hand, this thing that people dumped 20%, maybe yep. arbitrage is on that end, right? Because it's yep. now 20% cheaper. So that's the way I like to think about this. I don't worry about it at all. Yep. Um, it doesn't matter to me. Um, so, so that I think it's, that's the pricing action. Uh, behavior right the uh, I don't know what, what else you were talking about the vaccine is that the other thing that you were talking about or well, just, uh, just more the, more the, more the move in the market the, the, yeah. the, we'll talk about the vaccine in a second actually yeah. but the yeah just the, just the sense look I've I I have to say I, I find that the moves stupid quite frankly in the sense that it's not like there was some unknown outcome that all of a sudden, you know, if an alien landed and alien stocks went up, you go, okay, well, who knew that was going to happen? To some degree, to to for, for the market to have had Westfield 40% cheaper yesterday and 40% higher today on the use of a vaccine, you had to have almost believed, if if I, if, the, if those if that move is right, if yesterday's and today's price were both right, the only assumption I can draw is that people honestly thought we'd never get out of the house again. Well, okay, can, you know, I, can I challenge you on that yeah, one a little please. bit? So, so there, there is a little bit of... I think validity to the move, you know, not the, the, the degree, I guess, but That's there's a little point. bit of a little, little bit of validity, right? Because oh, if, absolutely. for example, there was no vaccine news, yep. and let's say we're going to be locked up, uh, and people are not going to go to the mall for next one year, two years, sure, sure. Maybe there is in some city, I don't know how much debt, for example, yeah. Westfield had. Maybe yeah. Westfield can actually go out of business, yeah. right? Yeah. So there is that yes, risk. Yes, yes. That risk became less. Yes. And, you know, in some future cash flows have now all of a sudden become visible. Agreed. And, you know, is it 20%? For, it's not definitely not 40%. I agree and and, and that's there. my truth. It's not, it's not yeah. the move. If they'd been 3% moves either way, but like, okay, yeah. that seems reasonable. Okay. As you yeah. say, yeah. you know, maybe Westfield opens in January rather than June. Yeah. And the profits, it... it and 5%, like, it, and it, the stock goes up 5%. Yeah, same with the travel company, same with Kogan, right? That yeah. both moves in both directions. Temple and Webster are the same thing. It's not like people thought, oh, yeah, we'll always, we'll always buy from Kogan or Temple and Webster and never go to JB Hi-Fi again. Yeah. Yes, it might have been three or five months earlier. Yes, that might be worth a few percentage points on some sort of discounted cash flow basis. Just bizarre to me that you can you can find a way to say this is a forty percent difference or a twenty percent difference on the basis. I mean, in Australia in particular, where we're pretty much most of us are back to normal ish life. Victoria getting back to normal ish life slower than the rest of us, but effectively, I mean, you know, I don't know. Just it just strikes me that as bizarre the sheer size of the moves. Actually, not the direction. I completely agree. The size was just phenomenal. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's let's go to the vaccine, man. Only because this is a this is a uh, investing podcast. We do tend to tangent. We do tend to, to uh, have have a broad remit. This we're gonna go we're gonna go even broader than normal here because you've you've been sharing some um, some really kind of uh, you've been pretty energetic about this, and it is the 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 impressiveness of the potential vaccine and the technology behind it. Now, neither of us are medical doctors. Neither of us are uh, um, biological scientists. You are, you happen to be a computer scientist. You have a PhD, so you're miles ahead of me. But in any case, we're not going to try and cover this from a pure health perspective, and I don't know how closely or otherwise we'll go to the specifics of the science. But the very idea of the technology behind this is huge, and you've talked about that. It does make some impact on the investment markets because if this is the future, it is a step change and almost like a right-angle turn in terms of the way a lot of our future medicinal compounds, vaccinations, a whole lot of other stuff gets made. Yeah. So again, I don't know a whole lot of this. It's just you know, and I and I don't invest based on what I have understood largely because again, I might have missed something, right? Um, so uh, so RNA basically is you know this ribonucleic acids. Everybody has uh, you know we have DNA and RNA in our body mm-hmm. basically defines the genetics um, uh, of our body yep. and uh, what. 
Okay, then I'll backtrack a little bit. The traditional flu vaccine, for example, basically involves finding the strains that we think are going to be there mm-hmm. and taking weakened versions. This is how vaccines are made. Weakened yeah. versions of the germs, putting it into your body, that results in the body now knowing what germs to look for. Mm-hmm. Its immune system has been, it just gets programmed yeah. to to attack it. So it's a practice, a practice test, isn't it's it? It's a practice <laughs> test. And, 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 yeah. that practice, and it's not 100% foolproof, yeah. but it, you yeah. know, it makes, you know, even if you get the flu, you just get a weaker version of the flu as long as the correct um, variants or group of variants have been right, uh, right. programmed. Traditionally, vaccines have been done that way, yeah. right? Now, what this one does is basically saying, well, what you want to do is you want to you want the body's immune system to mm, respond. Mm. Why do we have to input germs into your body? <laughs> We're going to input the synthetic compound, right? Uh, which is called the messenger in this mm-hmm. case, which is why it's called mRNA. Oh, okay, right. That. And the messenger that. is going to go to the RNA and going to create a response, huh. right? And that response is then going to result in immunity, right? right. So basically, we are programming our body to deal with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. This is a step change because actually this originally this technology, as far as I understand again, with lots of caveats here of what I understand, <laughs> um, was being developed largely for cancer. Right. Right. And, and, and at a very high level, if you think about cancer, is cancer is basically um, body cells yep. gone haywire. Yeah. In other words, the body is just producing cells at a rapid rate. All you need to do, if you think about it at a very, very thick, you know, 60,000 feet view, all you want to do is tell your body yeah. to not produce those cells. Just and switch the, off that process. Just switch off that, you know, that extra process that's got haywire, right? Yeah, right the right. process that's gone mad. Yeah. So we should be able to tell our DNA and RNA yeah. somehow to switch that process off. Right. That is where this research started, and they have found that this actually really works well for coronavirus. That's really right? cool. The other cool thing about this is viruses mutate over time, and every year we have to find the variant. Mm. The, then you have to make these things, put them in a vial. Mm. Mm. Here you just change the information, the message that you're going to send. Very cool, isn't right? it? So this is a step change because maybe what we needed is we needed a pandemic. Mm. To give this technology has been under development, lots of scientific papers, lots yeah. of companies working on it yeah. uh, for ages. Maybe we needed mm. a pandemic to actually bring this technology forward. This is like you know could be a step change for yeah. all these bad diseases for which you know people go through chemotherapy and then eventually die. Um, that actually it's a cool future, get, right? I have cancer. Yeah. I'm going to go and have this particular therapy, yeah. and and it will stop the cancer. Right. I mean that that's a that's a, it is the pipe dream, but maybe as you say, the fact that we've got billions and billions and billions of dollars being spent on this particular yeah. virus helps that technology just proceed faster than it would have otherwise. Exactly. And and then the other thing, there's some cool I'm not gonna go into the cool story of so this is this is a, the so we are talking so again we should clarify this. We're talking about Pfizer here. Yeah. Uh, but we shouldn't forget that the actually the technology is was invented mm. by BioNTech in Germany by two uh, husband wife uh, pair. Nice. Uh, they have a history of actually previously commercializing technologies. They're among <laughs> among the hundred richest That's people, hundred richest people in Germany, um, and they basically have this deal with Pfizer yeah. because Pfizer has the other stuff that you need to actually you know do the <laughs> right. do the uh, run the trials, yeah, then okay. distribute it. There is some distribution challenges because of the cold. This yeah. needs to be at minus fifty degrees Celsius or something like that wow. to be actually distributed. So there is a cold change that needs oh, wow, that okay, you need, yeah, right. which raises a lot of interesting questions, right? So you know um, the Australian government can secure the mm, mm, mm. the cold chain to get the virus the, the vaccine delivered here. Yeah. What about developing countries where you know you don't have cold freezers, oh, right? So you yeah, so so there's that challenge. There's a lot of challenges wow, involved yeah. with this technology yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's very early stage. The yeah. other good news with this one is that 
this is not the only, and this is what the the inventors of the, or, or or the BioNTech founders have said yep. that they are likely not only the only ones, right? Mm-hmm. The other one, uh, Moderna, um, w- which is developing another mRNA uh, vaccine, mm-hmm. is likely going to be able to produce it. So I think I, I like the fact that it's just a step change. Um, it's cool. it's a huge technology, um, you know, step change, and you know, it, it takes us forward. Super cool, mate. Um, uh, let's go really left field. Um, there's an article in all the big papers today. Obviously, Fortescue's done well with its press releases because all the, all the big papers have picked it up. And again, we're doing this on Thursday the twelfth. Twiggy and and Fortescue. Twiggy is uh, Andrew Forrest, of course, going into renewable energy. And apparently, I saw a number that Twiggy wants to, that the projects that he has planned is going to produce something like four or five times the amount of energy currently in the Australian national energy grid. So if that if that, so if that seems large, that is very, very, very large. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a Twiggy fan. I, people have issues with him personally and for a whole lot of different social reasons. I don't want to get into it. Um, but he has built Fortescue. To, given the size of the iron ore business and given the fact that the Giants win, uh, BHP, Rio, Vale were the big three, for Twiggy to have created a business effectively from close enough to scratch and be among those big four, or now including Fortescue, is just phenomenal. I think when we talk about celebrating Australian success, Twiggy should be up there again with his flaws, um, but up there as as one of the one of the you know great success stories of the last twenty years. He's in a whole lot of things. He's in some social movements around helping Indigenous people get to work. Um, he's been involved in some of the COVID recovery planning stuff. This is this is different though. This is for profit. This is Fortescue itself saying we want to go and make money producing renewable energy. And I thought this was worth talking about for a couple of reasons. Um, occasional listeners might know you, you you like a little company called Tesla. Um, maybe our listeners haven't heard of it. You probably may not have mentioned it before, but maybe you have. Um, Tesla, you've you've been talking over the last week or two with us in, in the team about the fact that you know EV, electric vehicles, are now cheaper at a total cost of ownership basis than traditional cars. And that's a step change in itself. That that starts to say you don't have to like the environment, you don't have to like self driving. You don't. You, you can literally just say, ask the bean counter, which car should I buy? And quite often the answer should be a Tesla, just purely on cost of ownership based on a whole lot of stuff. I don't. Is that true in Australia, by the way? Do we know? Or is it kind of one of those US stories um, for now? Not just. I, I don't know the okay. because the the, the the cost for Tesla in Australia is very high. Okay. Uh, for I don't know for a whole bunch of reasons, probably. Yeah. You, you know, but yeah, the the, uh, the cost for a Model Three in yep. the in the US, and that's probably the world's largest market. That yeah. might, so it it really matters what the cost is in say the US and China and Europe, mm-hmm. and you know if nobody else is making cars, then we'll have no choice, right? Yeah. And unless we want to take everybody else's cars that nobody wants, <laughs> right? In which yeah. case we get yeah. cheap cars. All right, so so yeah, EVs now cheaper in the US at least than than traditional cars, and now Twiggy is trying to make money selling renewable energy. I think this is I want I want to mention this partly because you've been banging on about EV for a while, and also also battery storage and that kind of stuff, and, and solar. This is you know he's going to use a combination of everything. He's talking about hydro, he's talking about hydrogen, he's talking about solar. Um, I think even tidal. I think I might have seen. Maybe that's not true. So just check first. Um, but this is you know this is probably one of the larger examples I know of, and I don't claim particular expertise globally on this one, but of a for-profit business going headlong into something at a scale that really suggests this stuff is here to stay. And I think, so, so I guess my, my, my comment slash question is, this is the sort of innovation technology that's been coming for a long time and it may literally be on our doorstep. We may literally see a future that is only months or years away rather than, at least, at least in the change, we're not going to replace you know coal plants with 
I don't know, 10, 20 years left of life because it's just it's too expensive to replace them, given that the sunk costs already in, in, in the ground. But this feels like a, a big deal. Yeah, so I haven't seen actually the details of what uh, um, uh, Andrew Forrest mm, is doing. Mm. So I don't have a good handle on that. But I mean, it is true that the large chunks of the cost for uh, electricity today is mm. actually moving it from yeah. uh, from the you know from one location to the other, yeah. right? Whereas what distributed you know does, which in most cases is going to be you know hydro is mm. uh, hydro is, is different. Hydro is again also distributed, but solar and wind, for example, mm. are definitely mm. distributed. Uh, one of the things that distributed does is it you know potentially moves energy closer to mm. uh, the end user, which means removes the distribution cost, right? And then you supplant that with uh, storage to deal uh, with the intermittentness, right? So that, that's the high level idea. Um, I think this is this is good um, because again. Right now, most of the projects that are being done in sort of this renewable storage space are being done, for example, by, uh, there's a French company called Neon, uh, which has been running these projects in Australia, right? So I think that Neon is the one that runs the, the Hornstail one in South Australia. Neon is the one that's going to run the one in um, in in Victoria, right? right? Um, so it's, I, I think there's an opportunity here for somebody who is willing to make that bet because, again, yeah. we are at that point Again, on a on a cost basis, if you think about large scale solar, it's actually cheap, right? So uh, you know, probably he sees the economic. You know, most of the time you can't do social good like yeah, that, right? Yeah, you you yeah. know, there has to be an economic benefit. He probably sees the economic benefit and sees there's an opportunity. Like to build, yeah, this yeah. is an opportunity to build a business. Again, I don't know the details, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd I'd say that this is you know sounds like uh, something promising and something to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I was going to read a couple of paragraphs and we'll, we'll move on. But so here's the the Australian article. Um, the Fortescue founder and chairman said the company had now engaged with 25 governments around the globe. Talk about potential energy projects targeting the eventual production of 235 gigawatts of renewable energy a year or five times the capacity of the national electricity market. He plans to visit another 24 countries to seek out other opportunities. And here's a quote. Forrest says, after scientific and personal analysis of the renewable energy resources of our little planet, I can assure you there is more than enough renewable energy to, and this is important, to sustainably and economically supply every person on this planet from this time forth. It is our job to respectfully use these readily available renewable resources and supply the world's fuel and power at sufficient scale to satisfy the need for abundant, cheap, zero-pollutant energy. Now, maybe this comes to nothing. Maybe Forrest is absolutely on the wrong path, but he's no bleeding heart, wishful thinking, you know, wanting to change the world kind of, you know, with, with renewables here. This is Forrest saying, A, I'm going to make some money doing this. B, it's completely possible at, and as he says, sustainably and economically supplying every person on the planet. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, just like EVs have sort of tipped into that, the the fact mm. that um, solar and wind are already there. Yep. The the actually the missing link really is is storage, right? And yeah. right now it's the scaling of those storage systems, right? And then once you can do that, there's money to be made. Um, by just playing arbitrage, right? You know, the picket plants can't peak up very quickly. Storage yeah, yeah. can peak up very quickly. So there's 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 arbitrage to be played in the in national energy markets. So, um, yeah, probably he sees the opportunity, and uh, yeah, I think it's great. Mm. Very nice, mate. Let's uh, let's finish with a question. I got a question on this. A very first question on LinkedIn. Of all places, we've had a lot of socials. LinkedIn finally joining. We still haven't got a TikTok question, but that's probably because neither you nor I are on TikTok. Uh, let, but let's finish with a question from Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin says, first of all, can't thank you and the doc enough 
for your weekly podcast, deep dive into all things investing related. Thank you, Benjamin. He says, a mate put me onto your services, SA and EO, a few years ago, and I've learned heaps and I've even managed to pay it back and convert a few of my mates into, into the world of investing and diversifying their portfolios in addition to their property. Nice work, mate. He says, one of my mates is an incredibly risk-averse guy, which is absolutely fine, he says in brackets. And he recently bought the Beta Shares X20 ETF. I reckon that's an ETF even you can get your head around. So it's the ASX 200, excluding the top 20 companies. So company okay. 21 through 200 in the <laughs> top 200. He says, he bought it on my suggestion as opposed to just buying the ASX 200. And Benjamin says in brackets, got to beat the market, right? He's very worried about investing in individual stocks and as trying to pick winners, oh, sorry, as trying to pick winners, and likes ETFs for their broad exposure. Makes sense. In shopping some of the uh, shopping some of the other BetaShares ETFs, I came across a geared ETF based on the ASX 200, and would appreciate both yours and the doc's thoughts. My understanding is the gearing component will magnify both the losses and gains, but over the long term, would this be a sound way to beat the market with minimum risk? Keep up the awesome work and fool on. Cheers, Ben. And he finishes hashtag A team hashtag doc on the talk. So there you go. Loving, loving the hashtags. Listeners, thank you very much for uh, for sharing those with us. I, I do I do enjoy reading some of those. So good question from Benjamin, mate. Mm. So ASX 200X20 actually sounds like a kind of cool ETF, I have to say. It's, again, you're kind of making a bet to some degree rather than just getting pure diversification, but there's nothing wrong with that if you know what you're buying. The geared ETF, though, uh, using leverage to try and maximize your returns, of course, really would have been painful over the last year i imagine mate at least during the the february march falls what are your thoughts about using a geared etf to build long-term wealth well like you know with anything geared right i mean you get you know you get leverage upside you get leverage downside mm-hmm. so a lot of it depends on how it's actually geared yeah. like i mean so how are they generate like i mean to generate double the alpha <laughs> of the index yeah. you have to do something right so it's a question of what is it you know, in most cases, it's typically Excuse that me. you know writing calls or buying calls mm-hmm. for the upside and and or you know having puts on the downside. I I, I really don't know mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. mechanics. Yep. Um, and again, yep. you know, it's uh, at a very high level, it's really hard to maintain that sort yeah. of you know to provide say two x the performance yeah. uh, over the long term. Um, so again, I just, I don't know, and mm-hmm. you know I. I tend to not invest in these sort of products largely because, again, they're complex. Yeah. Like, I mean, the whole point of ETF is that ETF is simple, right? Mm-hmm. Straightforward, easy to understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if I get a product that I don't really understand, well, then why am I investing? I might as well just take the effort of yeah. understanding a <laughs> company, right. right? Because yeah. there's been there's yeah. some other layers being added. So it's just yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's about it's a personal preference. I get it. Makes sense. Um, uh, Benjamin, I'm going to add some thoughts. Doc. I've, I've had a quick look at this, the gear ETF. A couple of things that are worth talking about. So we know that they get the, magnif- the losses and the gains are magnified. That's absolutely true. So that's the first thing. And that can really hurt. Now, this... ETF best I can tell, Doc, and, and we would sell it, say to our listeners, do your own research, but it's just a straight borrowing, borrowing approach. It's not options best I can tell. It literally borrows money and the gearing is is expected to be between 50 and 65% of the total assets. So effectively dollar for dollar, um, you know, $2 for every $3 of debt, depending on how, how high they go. So that's kind of their, their gearing approach, literally just borrowed money. The problem with that is a couple of things. First is the fund has a management cost of 0.8%. Now you can buy an ETF, I want to say 0.14 or so, I think. So you're paying about four or five times the management fee to get this. So that's the first thing. 
Second thing is the borrowing costs will come out of the fund. So you're not only paying the fund, you're also paying the interest, which is fine because that's what leverage is, but just be mindful that that hurts you. Now, here's the big bit. I looked up the graph, mate, of the of the uh, GEAR, so G-E-A-R is the code, over the last one year. At 19th of February, when everything was, you know, looking okay, no one was too worried, this ETF was at $29.94, call it 30 bucks. The ASX fell by about 35%. This ETF fell, unsurprisingly, by 67%. And you expect that, right? So it magnified wow. the losses. The problem is right now, because of that loss, I don't know whether they had to sell some assets to keep the gearing in place. I imagine they may have because the recovery, the shares are now $21.15. That's still a good 30% below the February high, despite the fact the ASX is almost back to its normal level. So in this case, yes, you do get the leverage. And in theory, you'd say, well, hang on, the ASX is back we've got. Yeah, it might have been more volatile because that leverage, but I should be back to the same level because the ASX is. This is this is shown, and, and again, I'm not no expert in this particular product, but this has shown that that process of losing a lot and making back a little bit, the gearing has not even close to worked on the way back. Compared to? Now, now double, so don't get me wrong. If you'd bought at the very bottom, yes, you've done better than the overall market. But if you'd bought or held through like average, you are down massively on this ETF compared to where the market itself is. So that's the, you know, it's easy to kind of think, well, okay, double the loss, double the upside. You know, if market goes up over time, I win. I would speculate, I don't know. So please, this is pure speculation. The ETF may well have had to sell some shares to maintain that gearing at some point because if they just held everything, they should have been able to come back with the market because a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. And the assets, if they'd held them, would have been worth exactly the same. For whatever reason, um, that is still a meaningful 30% below its pre crash highs when the market is getting very close to back to normal. So you, you've, you've absolutely been, you had a you know, worse downside and nowhere near the same upside. In other words, the worst of both worlds. So I would avoid them generally speaking. Conceptually, the concept of borrowing long-term wealth creation makes a whole lot of sense. When you can't control the, the fund, the borrowing, the investments, um, I, you know, I, my, my general line is get rich slowly rather than go broke quickly. I think you're going to go broke with this ETF. It's possible. Geared ETFs have gone broke before in the US, so be super, super careful. Um, I don't expect it with this one, but I also don't know that it's worth the risk you might be taking either for it to go broke or simply just underperform the market massively because that's also just simply not worth doing. Anything else on that one, Doc? I have nothing to add. Mate, that does us. Should we come back on Sunday? Oh, is that a question? Or, uh... <laughs> it's always a question, but it's a little bit rhetorical. Okay. All right, there we're done. Before we go, please do subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or, of course, you can use Podcast One. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Five stars would be lovely. Please do tell your friends. I have a, an apology to make on Sunday, so we'll get to that one. On someone who did do the right thing, and I forgot their question. So my apologies, but it's coming. Uh, of course, who couldn't use a little bit of foolish straight talk too? And, of course, if you do want to get in touch with us, jump on the Twitters. I'm TMF Scott P. Doc is Anirban Mahanti. You can get us on Instagram. I'm at TMF Scott P. The Motley Fool's account is at The Motley Fool AU. Or on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia, surprise, surprise, or Scott Phillips Money. And of course, you can get a dose of foolishness and some uh, some marketing from us by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll see you on Sunday with another dose of special mailbag foolish insight. Fool on. Full on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.